Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. Philippians 4 through 13. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, am in need for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Thank you, Erin. This morning, we're super excited to have a guest speaker today, Pastor Phil Kreiling. Um, just a little bit of context, Pastor Phil's been a pastor in Overland Park for about 30 years, I think, um, but currently he serves Kansas City area pastors and ministry leaders through coaching, helping them build relationships with schools and community partners, much like the partnership that we have um, with Tomahawk Elementary. And I believe this is how Matt kind of got to know you to begin with. Um, And you guys have been meeting pretty regularly over the past several years. Um, And I know Matt has spoken so highly of you and really values um, your friendship and your influence, especially these last few years as Park City has come to be. Um, So we're super excited to have you here, Pastor Phil. Um, Would you guys give him a warm welcome as he comes? Thank you, Kristen. Uh, Matt was right. You did get all the talent in the family. <laughs> great job. Uh, it, it's great to get to meet uh, different ones today. I've been uh, Matt's leadership coach for, well, I think almost five years now. Uh, really, uh, you all were, it was several months before, we ever, before you ever got to move in here. And uh, it's been great to get to know Matt. I don't know, it, is this live stream? Is he watching at home? You believe so, yeah. Hopefully he's not just laying in bed sleeping, you know. <laughs> you know he hasn't been uh, feeling good, but uh, it's it's been a privilege to uh, get to work with Matt. I uh, give you a little background on who is standing here. Sometimes you're always uh, thinking those things. Uh, I pastor just a quarter mile from here up 75th Street, Overland Park, First Assembly of God on the right-hand side there between Metcalf and Antioch. I came there in 1981. Uh, I was there till 2010. I uh, came as youth pastor, uh, run a basketball league. I'd played basketball in college. That was a big reason they wanted me to come, and uh, we did that, uh, used our gym as a form of outreach all around to the community. Uh, uh, I came single. I could put everything uh, probably in a little duffel bag when I came. Uh, I got married. Here, this is my wife, Sherry. We've been married 38 years now, and uh, Sherry was from the church there. I pulled that unpardonable sin, you know, the youth pastor who uh, married somebody out of their youth group and, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> actually stayed, you know, in the, in the church. And uh, God just continued to bless through the years. The senior pastor had a stroke after I'd been there three or four years, and I never felt called a pastor. I mean, uh, it was like I, my degree was in coaching. I said, uh, you know, I took care of the church for the next five years. Uh, he never preached again to one morning in uh, uh, it was January of 1990. He's, he said, uh, I need to speak to the people today. You know, and the stroke of pretty well debilitated. I'm thinking, okay, what? And uh, uh, he 
uh, gets up at the end service. I said, Pastor Howard, I'd like to say something to you. I had no idea what he was going to say. He said, last night I was shaving, and uh, the Lord told me I have been uh, the pastor of this church. He'd been there for 41 years. He says, but uh, God told me that I've been Moses to this congregation, but that Joshua's come, and I'm to no longer be called the senior pastor. So the board came to me and said, you're going to take it. And I said, guys, I don't know. I said, I don't know that I'm called a pastor. They said, you've been doing it for the last five years. I said, I've just been being faithful in another man's ministry because that's what God had called me to do. And uh, I said, let me pray about it. I prayed a couple weeks, and I said, tell you what, I'll give you one year. You start looking for somebody else. Whenever you find them, I'm ready. I was coaching. I was actually coaching basketball at Maranatha Academy. Kyle was, uh, you know, that's where he and my son played ball at uh, together. But, I mean, this was long before either one of them were around there in 89, 90 and when I was coaching uh, back then. And uh, after... You know, this went on for a year, and uh, uh, I did 21 of those one-year commitments. <laughs> <laughs> Their idea was that I was going to be there forever. In 2009, had a number of issues go on in our family. Uh, God was, like, uh, shaking me up. Uh, everything was running along smooth. Uh, the church was growing. We'd planted nine churches out of our church. We just, you know, uh, God was blessing in every way, and uh, my Wife had some issues. Uh, our kids, we almost lost both of our kids to uh, uh, rare issues. Our daughter had uh, uh, a staph infection, and uh, she'd had scoliosis. They'd put in rods, children's mercy. It's great, and every year children's mercy, you're in the system forever. Our son was that way, too, until uh, he outgrew the bed, and they made him go to somewhere else. He became 6'6", and it was like, uh, they were like, oh, we don't have beds this size any longer uh, there. Uh, but, you know, went through a lot of shakeup in there for uh, – uh, 10 surgeries, major surgeries in, in six months. And I was like, God, what are you doing? I says, you know, he says, I want to teach you to trust me. And I mean, pretty open and honest with God, I said, don't give me that garbage. <laughs> I think I've always trusted you. Well, what do you mean? I mean, it's just as, at least my spirit was just speaking, I want you to learn to trust me. And I said, okay. I said, if you've got issues with me or there's something wrong, then take it out on me, but leave my family alone. And, you know, this continued to go, and I was up visiting my daughter. Uh, they were married, and they were youth pastors Philadelphia. I mean, this had gone on, her staph infection, for several months. They told us, uh, Children's Mercy, uh, she laid there with her back open for, <laughs> like, three weeks, and they told us that Ashley was not going to make it. We need to prepare that she was not going to live. And I said, hey, uh, we'll uh, prepare for that if the day comes. Until that time, we're going to pray because we know a God who can do anything. And, uh, you know, God did. God, miraculous things. She still had issues and was in CHOP Children's Hospital there of Philadelphia whenever she was up there and, and continued on. I was there visiting her. It was in about October. And I got an email came across just about talking about the number of pastors who were leaving their ministries and just giving up and quitting. And uh, it was to the tune of about 18000 a year. And so I... Uh, you know, as I'm reading that, it's like this voice spoke to me again and said, Phil, you can make a difference in these guys' lives. Why don't you? And I said, okay. And it kind of wrestled back and forth, and I told my wife, I says, I feel like God wants us to leave and for me to spend the rest of my life investing. And I said, you know, I'd always committed I was going to do this when I turned 65. I was not going to be one of those who just sat in a church and just existed like a lot of pastors do. I was going to make a difference in young leaders' lives. And uh, I was 53 at the time, and I felt this challenge. Give me the best years of your life, not the leftovers. 
And so I told my wife, said, she says, okay, how are you going to pay for this? Because you can just imagine with all the medical bills we had, not great insurance, it was kind of, you know, uh, back in 2009, the joke was the only person spending more on health care than me was Obama with all that he was doing. I mean, it was just, <laughs> it was uh, an insanity where we're staring at. And, and I said, okay, so we set out this plan two years. We get all our bills paid off. We'd be able to do it. About a month and a half later, I'm sitting in a board meeting at Overland Park, and the uh, my board Tiffany says, my board member says, man, Phil, you're awful quiet. You haven't really laid out a plan for next year. And, you know, I've been wrestling over the last couple months with what was going on in my life, what was happening. It's actually been about six months of doing that, but really in the last two months, I knew God was telling me the direction he wanted me to go, and I, uh, I said, uh, I don't know. I said, be honest, guys, I don't know if I'll be here a year from now. I don't know if I'll be here six months from now. Matter of fact, why don't we just make this my official resignation and get it over with? I mean, it's like a bomb went off. You know, these guys are my best friends. We've been together 30 years, and they're like, no, what are you talking about? I said, no, I think the Lord's done with me here. This is what the Lord's challenged me to do. And they're like, no, pray about this. We can figure out and work this out. And they, uh, I said, no, let's just make this my resignation. Then I had to go home and tell my wife that I just resigned with no money. And another bomb went off <laughs> in our home. And uh, so uh, that's kind of how I, you get to this place where we're at. I, I uh, left on Easter Sunday. And uh, and that that was our, our last Sunday was there in, in Easter of uh, 2010. And launched out on this and uh, just uh, stepped out to trust God. And, you know, the first six months, it was crazy. I mean, it was like, you know, you'd meet people that are like, you're going to be a lot of a ministry coach. What in the world? And uh, what are you doing? We had no money coming in, uh, nothing. And uh, six months uh, later, in November, I still remember we went back to the church because in the Assemblies of God, whenever you leave, you had to leave. I mean, it was like no... Uh, being in contact with anybody and so we've walked away from all of our best friends everything you know and you're you're having no contact with anyone and uh, it, it was just weird living in the same city with all your best friends and you really can't have any contact because that's what your district superintendent said you you abide by it and, and so this is uh, going on and uh, I remember we went, were invited to come back for a wedding and I called the district superintendent he says okay slip in late leave out early don't make any contact with anybody. So did that. He came into the church, and it, it's weird. Whenever you slip in and you're sitting in the back of the church that you've built, <laughs> you've gone through three building programs, and you feel like an outsider. It was just a weird thing, and we slipped out early and congratulated the bride and groom and home, and it was just it was just a depressing weekend. And uh, Sherry said to me, she said, Phil, why don't you go back and pastor? Anybody would love to have you. And I wrestled all weekend, and I remember on Monday morning I said, no, babe. I said, if I have to dig ditches the rest of my life to pay for this, I know this is what God has called me to do, to invest the rest of my life into young leaders. And it was weird. That afternoon, it was about uh, 2.30, I get a call from a foundation. I said, hey, we got a letter here. We, somebody had written to us months ago about what you were doing and said, uh, we believe in what you're going to do. And uh, they sent us a check for uh, $20,000. Half hour later, we got another call from another foundation that uh, gave us 22500 And we got another call about 45 minutes after that from another organization uh, that ended up giving us uh, 2500 a month. This continued on, and it's all out of the business community. We got absolutely zip out of the church. 
I mean, we didn't ask for it. You know, we felt like we didn't want to take anybody's finance different things. And so we're uniquely funded in that we're funded by business leaders and foundations here in the community who believe in leadership and the importance of what the church can make. And so what's really nice about that is I get to invest in whoever I want to invest in. And uh, if I don't like them or they're a jerk or uh, not really being a benefit, I don't have to waste my time with them. I mean, I'm not getting paid. I mean, it really, that sounds terrible. Just go, but hey, that's just me, okay? I, not, uh, and uh, I love to work with Matt. Uh, I look around and I think I know why he's excited. Got a lot of great young leaders here. And what God is going to do in and through you. And you've got uh, some older ones, some wisdom. I got to meet Matt's parents for the first time. Heard a lot about them and actually heard about uh, Kristen and uh, their son and whenever they were talking about moving here and uh, I still can still remember all the issues and praying with Matt a lot of times. It's one thing whenever we would uh, always end our sessions with prayer. We always met at Panera usually uh, once a week or like that. And, uh, you know, things to pray about would naturally be the church or different issues going to the church. There's a lot of you I know by, you know, what's happened in your careers because that's what we would pray about. That's what I cared about. Uh, you are fortunate. Matt is a great pastor. He really is. He has a heart that loves people. I, I met Cass today. Uh, she's going to work with him and help with organization and different things or administrative assistant or whatever you want to call it. And it's like, yeah, that'd be great. I said, man, be, rejoice in that. I've had somebody who God's put in your life. I had about seven or eight of those ladies besides my wife who uh, did all that. I came back, I'd come back from a road trip and I'd have a thousand dreams of what else I wanted to do. And uh, it was their job to put it all together. My wife always says, I tell her, I said, I'm an optimist and you're a pessimist. She says, no, I know it's not, you see the glass half full, you think I see it half empty. She says, I'm a realist, I just see somebody's gonna have to do the dishes and it's probably gonna end up being me. <laughs> and uh, that is probably true of where we're at. So that's kind of a, a, a little quick history of how I get to this point of what I do and what I take care of now. And uh, I, I wanna share with you about what it is, what I've learned about trusting God completely. And that scripture that Aaron read earlier there today that Paul wrote about there towards the end of his life from prison, whenever not knowing the future, not knowing what was going on. And uh, we live in a world that always says, you need this or you need that, you need something more. And uh, it's just, so often we're not content with really trusting God and realizing he's in charge of every step of our lives. See, as I met you all today, I kind of looked and I thought, I wonder what God has in store for you. I don't know what will be the great victories, and I don't know what will be the great challenges. They will both be out there. I remember visiting Children's Mercy for years and seeing uh, issues and what went on in the lives of kids and how so often uh, they used to talk about sometimes 80 to 85% of the marriages, the couples didn't make it through that because of just the trauma they had with kids and all the issues that, that go through, things like that, and just how it tears apart. And, you know, whenever we went through it, you know, uh, it, it is challenges. And you have to realize, wait a minute, God's still in control. I, I listen to those songs today. He doesn't move. He is the alpha, the omega. He's in the middle. He's there always with you. There will be times, and we felt that at times. Sometimes it was like, God, where are you at? Whenever we first launched out doing that, and I say in those six months, it was like struggling. It's like, okay, God, I gave up everything because I believe this is what you'd call me to. 
where are you at? How are we going to make it? How's it going to work? Now, looking back, it's easy to tell that story and tell about the, the, the victories that happened on that Monday afternoon and how it's been a blessing from that time on. And, and our funding has been taken care of. And, and we really haven't had <laughs> the worries as far as in the financials since that. But I can also remember those six months of wondering, God, where are you and what are you doing? And see, I don't know where you find yourself at today. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what may be going great in your life. I don't know what struggles may be going on. Because let's be honest, we all come to church and we put on that mask and we say, everything's okay. How you doing? I'm fine. You know, unless somebody really gets to know us well or we're in a small group of somebody, most often people will have no idea what's going on in our lives. But we need to learn to really trust God. And so I, I just want to give you four things I've learned today. Not learned today, but learned over my lifetime. Just to share with you. I mean, I could probably write a book. Sometimes I thought I, I, I want to write a book someday that says everything I really need to know about life and ministry, I learned on the farm. I grew up in central Missouri on a pig farm. I've got 14 brothers and sisters. Uh, we learned what it was, how to get along. We learned politics because we were always negotiating to try to get at least eight people to our side so we could outvote the other side. Uh, you know, uh, we just, I mean, everything about life, we really learned there at a, a very early age. And, uh, but I want to read to you a quote here, and this is from a book, Authentic Faith, and it's uh, Gary Thomas who wrote this and says, contentment is nothing more than soul rest. It is satisfaction, peace, assurance, and a sense of well-being that is cultivated by pursuing the right things. Instead of needing more power, more money, more pleasure, or more control, we seek an abundance of grace and of peace. Contentment. Soul rest. See, I've learned that. I, uh, I think I, I always grew up trusting God. I always grew up in church, and I've never regretted it for a minute. I was born on December 29th, 1956. You look at it in your calendars, it'll flip back, and it'll tell you it was a Saturday night. Uh, I was number 11 out of the 15. My mom went into uh, uh, the hospital. She had uh, done chores, milk cows, uh, didn't go to the hospital, went to the gun clinic there in Versailles. And whenever she got there about 9 o'clock, the doctor said, I'll move the other lady out that was in there. Says, uh, it'll be a while on her. Opal, this won't take long. A half hour, I was born. We headed back home. <laughs> this is uh, like 9.45 at night. Uh, I went to church the next morning and I've been to church all my life. And I'm thankful for it. <laughs> I'm thankful for growing up that way. I, I mean, we would go to church, you know, in, uh, in uh, one vehicle, uh, a Chevy Impala. And uh, we would all sit on laps. It was just amazing, like a clown car when you see people get out of it. People just come to the door of the church and just watch. It was just, uh, it, it, was a, it was a crazy life, but, uh, but it was good. You know, we grew up learning to, to get along. We learned to, to trust in God. You know, we didn't, didn't have a lot, and God had blessed us. But we learned what it was, that of being content. But we always say that, we're content. But you know what? It's like some new challenge will come in our lives that starts to stir that up. And some of the older ones in here, you know what that is whenever you look back of, of those challenges and thinking, okay, God, where are you? What's, what's going to happen? But I'm going to give you four quick things here. First of all, contentment, it, ref uh, it reflects our attitude on life. Philippians verse 11, chapter 4 says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. One of the biggest things that will help you with contentment is perspective. And it's perspective of stepping back and saying, wait a minute, God has always been faithful. 
why would I think he would change now? Somehow we have that mentality, and uh, I remember whenever I was in seminary, and they always had this idea, you know, that talk about Jonathan Edwards, the old fire and brimstone preacher, and how he would almost dangle people by a thread over hell, and man, one wrong move and you're gone. And we need to understand, that's not God. God's done everything to save us. We just came out of the Easter season and the celebration of Christ's death and resurrection. Whenever he gave his only son, he's going to do everything working on your behalf. You need to know that deep down in your soul. He is working on your behalf. He's on your side. You may face things that sometimes you question at times, but I want you to know one thing of perspective looking back. And the Apostle Paul writes this. He'd gone through growth in his life too. And he writes this probably close to 30 years after the uh, Damascus Road experience. And, you know, he's at a stage where he doesn't have any freedom, no control over his life, no promise of a future, no assurance, absolutely nothing. And he can still write these verses. And you read all the way through the book of Philippians and why he could say back in uh, chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. His perspective in life had come to that stage. It wasn't all about who he was before, because you know what? Before he had had the Damascus Road experience, he was a powerful man. <laughs> he had a name. He had prestige. Uh, he had been trained by the best. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. Whenever you read what he says about that, but he now realizes it counted as nothing to what it is to know Christ and to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And I want you to sink deep. See, I don't know where you are at in your walk with the Lord, but I want you to know that God loves you. And God is at work on your behalf. And God has a great plan for you and for your life. Second thing right quick there, contentment develops gratitude. It not only reflects our attitude, but it develops gratitude. And this is the key word in here is peace. In verse 12, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Contentment is being thankful for what you have. It's looking at what God has done in your life and being thankful. See, the world is always going to have you looking outside and saying, more, more, more. I saw a thing recently said, we see, on average, 3,000 messages a day that tell us we need something else in our lives. I don't know if that number is true or not. You know, I always believe most statistics are, you know, you know, or at least 75% of them are made up on the spot, just like that one was. I mean, who knows if they're right or not? <laughs> I see these people throw out statistics. Out of, but whatever it is, we know the truth. It is hammered out of small directions. You need something else that's going to satisfy you, something else that's going to make you happy. Another job, more money, a bigger house, a better spouse. You know, you just, we just, we get hammered at from every direction. That's what the world is doing, advertising. Instead of recognizing, wait a minute. And see, the more I live, the longer I go, the more sovereign I recognize God is. That God has been at work in my life as I look backwards. Sometimes people say, how do you know God's will, Phil? How do you know the vision for the future? Used to, I was one of these hard-charging guys that, man, I was always laying out, boom, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to accomplish this year. This is where we're going to plan out. This is what we're going to take on. That's changed a lot because now I've come to the stage of realizing, you know what? I just need to be faithful. 
God is the one that's going to make everything happen. He didn't call me even to be fruitful. He calls me to be faithful. And out of faithfulness comes fruitfulness. When I look back, I see how God has used us and worked on our behalf. In times when we weren't sure what he was doing, he was still at work there. I've learned the secret, Paul said, of being content. And that being content is in knowing in relationship that God loves me and God's in control of my life. That's the secret. It's not just saying, whenever he says, I can do all things, he says, I can do plenty. I've been in want. See, I know all those. What I know is that God is faithful. I can do everything. Third one, because uh, no man sent me a thing that I'm on a time frame and I think I'm already close to it, but. Oh, well, he'll straighten it out next week. Or. <laughs> the third thing, contentment creates latitude. For this, I put the word freedom. Verse 13, and we so often have ripped this scripture out of context, saying almost of ourselves, I can do anything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because God's on my side. I can, I can just, if I think it, I can do it. No, Paul's back and he says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. He says, in the midst of my weakness, his strength is perfect. When I've had plenty, it's his strength that really sustains. When I've had nothing, and whenever I'm at this stage of my life, that I have no hope really for a future as far as on this earth, I still know that God's in control. I can do all things. What it is to realize that freedom, that God's going to use you, and you can give yourself away. See, one thing I have learned, and, and God has always raised me with this, was generosity. Uh, I grew up in a family that was dirt poor. I mean, we didn't realize how poor we were until we moved from the farm because they closed down our little uh, schoolhouse that was out in the country, and they, they uh, moved us. Uh, we had to go to Versailles. is where we went to the school at. And whenever you're around everybody else, and we had to move into town because of so many kids, you, all activities, you couldn't keep things going. And, and it was you realize, okay, we were poor. We didn't have a lot. You know? Uh, and yet, I had a family that always taught me generosity. I had a dad who was faithful, even though he didn't go to church, and I didn't ever realize why, but he didn't go to church because some pastor, he'd fallen asleep in church. And my dad, he farmed all the time, and he drove trucks over the road at night, and he would deliver freight during the day, and he'd farm. And therefore, whenever he sat down, like a lot of people, a lot of you are already starting into this the hard work that goes with it, he would go to sleep in church. And, you know, my opinion always was at Olden Park there, hey, if that's the only rest they got in church, <laughs> at least they had that rest. <laughs> Some, <laughs> if it was my voice that put them to sleep, then, hey, great, uh, they, they got it. But uh, I still remember in uh, uh, 1973, my dad retired from driving trucks and went back to church with us. One of the first Sundays there, there was this guy, Warner Miles, who was a missionary in the Philippines, and uh, he talked about building churches and that our church could build a church for $2,500. And so our church, they're taking up an offering like they do and do that. And uh, the next night, Monday night, we're at our dinner table, huge dinner table, and my dad says to us, says, uh, I want you all to know that I did something today that the Lord really challenged me to yesterday, we're going to build a church in the Philippines for our family. I went and borrowed $2,500, which you could do just on a signature note back then whenever you had the history. And he says, uh, uh, we're going to build a church there in the Philippines. I said, 
you're crazy. I'm 16 years old, uh, leader of my youth group at church. I said, you don't have a clue what God was. I mean, I'm thinking, oh, some of the rest of us are just like they even have a car or have this or that. You're giving away $2,500, which was a ton of money like in 1973. And I chastised my dad, and I remember him walking away from the dinner table feeling like a heel. And, uh, you know, over the next six months, because we were supposed to be paid back six months, our sows started having pigs, and we were having litters instead of 12, 13 pigs of in the 20s, and we had hogs running like crazy everywhere and feeding them. And uh, whenever we went to sell there uh, later on that year, uh, you, you sell them at about six months, uh, it was crazy. Uh, the hog market went crazy, went from like $23. I mean, everybody thinks of the stock market, the different things. We thought of the stock market as, as hogs and cows. That's all stock was. And it, it tripled just in there for a short time. And we cleaned up. I mean, we had pigs like crazy. Dad went, was able to pay off the $2,500. We paid off the farm, which we'd done nothing but pay interest on for probably 30 some years we'd done that. Uh, you know, he gave us uh, different ones money where we could buy a car or different things. I mean, it was just, uh, you know, we weren't rich, but we felt we were. But it's amazing. And God just continued to bless out of that faithfulness. And the incredible part, really, of that story is that uh, years later on, 1992, my dad had a series of strokes and was, uh, had been in uh, hospital nursing homes back and forth. And, you know, it was cheaper for him to keep him at home. Uh, so we were. And the uh, state of Missouri sent in a, uh, a young man, Tomas, who uh, was, uh, you know, would be there to take care of my parents. Young Christian kid, Filipino, and he would sing songs and everything like that. And we were talking with him and, and all. And as we're talking there to him, and he was around with my parents for about 18 months. Uh, we found out Tomas told us, he says, yeah. And uh, he told us, he says, in our village, he said, we uh, went to a church, saved there, an Assembly God church that was built by this missionary, Warner Miles. And I've told people, I can't tell you that that's my dad's church that he gave the 2500 to build. All I can tell you is that God will always be faithful. And part of people used to say, why do you have such a heart for missions? I said, because missions is the heartbeat of God. You'll never outgive God. There's a lot of people who try to outspend him and do stupid stuff with their money, but you'll never outgive God. I mean, as you pour blessing into his life, blessing back. But he gives us the freedom to be whoever we want to be in Christ. And you know what he's promised is that he'll always be faithful. And the last one that I want to give to you this morning is contentment displays aptitude. See, learning to be content in who you are and who God has created you to be and recognizing the gifts and skills that you have gives you opportunity to really serve him, to live for him. I have had a great run and a great 42 years in this city. I would trade it all to be in your place at your age and do it all over again, especially with what I've learned and what I know now. I mean that sincerely. I would love to be in your spot. You've got opportunities ahead of you and I look at different characters in the Bible, and one of my favorites is Joseph. And Joseph, whenever he had the dreams as a young man, and everything went against him, and his family was against him. And he gets sold into slavery, and he goes down to uh, Egypt. And then he gets sold into Potiphar's house, and then because of Potiphar's wife and the lies she told, he gets stuck in prison. And he goes through all of that, but he never, ever changed. He knew that God had put a dream in his heart, and that God was faithful. And even while he's in prison, and remember the story of the cupbearer and the baker who have the two dreams and they can't, they don't know what it means and 
he interprets the cupbearers first and tells him the dream of what's going to happen. And he says, well, in three days, you're going to be lifted back up to your position and restored to be cupbearer of Pharaoh again. And Pharaoh throwing him in the prison just because he was mad, just having a bad day. Man. And the baker hears, wow, it's a good story. Man, let me tell you my dream. And he says, well, your dream is that uh, he's going to cut off your head, stick you on a pole, and the birds are going to eat your flesh. And he tells the cupbearer, whenever you restored your position, remember me. But it says the cupbearer forgot all about him. And for two years, he continues on there in prison until Pharaoh has the dream. And he can't uh, interpret it. And this guy who's a cupbearer, so come and see him the other day, says, you know, there was this young Hebrew boy who interpreted my dream. This says, he could, uh, I think he could interpret too. And he brings in Joseph. And Joseph t uh, interprets the dream and says, it's going to be seven great years and then seven years of famine after that. You need to prepare for it. I mean, you study back in history and look at the timing of it. This was really uh, Egypt's great rise to power in and through there because they suddenly, they, he uh, saved, uh, told them to save 20% of their crop over these next seven years and prepare for that, that the whole world had to come to Egypt to buy grain and like that. They traded, and uh, you, you read through it, and uh, Pharaoh, they would get grain, but he would get their land, or he would get other great resources or everything that they had. And because of that, Joseph was put in a position of now being number two, second only to Pharaoh. He used what God had given to him and what God put in his heart, what he'd been prepared for, what was his gifting and his talents. Whenever God gave him opportunity, he made the most of it, which was to not only the salvation of the nation of Egypt, but also the nation of Israel and really the raising up of a great nation that came from 70 people whenever they came there into captivity to 400 years later whenever they leave to being well over a million to a million and a half people. See, God is going to work on your behalf in your life. Recognize the opportunities. Ephesians 5 says, make the most of every opportunity. Today's so evil. You've got opportunities ahead of you. God is going to use you. God is going to bless you. I really wish, and I see some of you writing these down, I wish I could sink these deep in your heart past just notes or just words. People said it to me 30, 40 years ago. And I was kind of one of those that, yeah, I know. God's on my side and no doubt about it. I'm, I'm accomplishing doing things for him. He ought to be on my side. Looking back, you realize that, hey, in spite of all the youthfulness, uh, the success, success chasing, uh, who knows what it was in my life, the, uh, the egotistical of just having to win sometimes, in the midst of it, God used it to his glory. And especially over the last 12 years, he has taught me, Phil, I've always been in charge of everything. How do I know God's will? I look backwards. And I see that sometimes whenever I was like, why am I going down this path? It was where God was taking me. Why am I going down this path? It's where God was taking me. And see, God was guiding me, and I look back now and recognize that, you know what, even in mine of, you know, Maybe, maybe it was some pride and arrogance out there. I'm, well, I'm not going to kid you any. Yeah, I, <laughs> I liked winning. <laughs> I, I liked competition. I look back and I realize, you know what? God used who I was to accomplish what he wanted done. And so what I'm saying to you is just stay faithful.
if God tarries, I'd love for 30 years from now to you be telling somebody else or hopefully telling your kids. You know, our kids are, are out there faithfully serving. Our son works at Olathe North now, had been uh, in KCK where Kyle was, uh, uh, had been there for several years. Our daughter and son-in-law planted a church like this in, in uh, uh, Philadelphia. They tried for the last two years to, uh, you know, be able to get a place to meet because whenever COVID hit, they got shut down. They were meeting at a, a comedy club that was run by Live Nation. And uh, in, in Philadelphia, the mayor made a uh, stat. He said, nobody can have over five people in religious service here during the COVID. And, uh, you know, my son-in-law joked, Elijah always said, uh, he says, the Bible says where two or three are gathered together, the Lord is there. He says, you get two more people besides that, and the government shows up. I mean, they had to try to do small groups and everything. They, like you all, they were going like this. They were up to about 120. Suddenly, they're back down to just a few people meeting at homes at different places scattered around the city. And then coming out of it, Live Nation said, well, you can't meet here unless all your people are going to be vaccinated now. Start back in last September. So they met in their house, tried to think. They tried to uh, rent facilities, and nothing would work. And uh, everything was a closed door. Boom, boom, boom. Nobody would take them. Nobody wanted to go to church. And then this one person contacted them who had part of a warehouse and, and let them, <laughs> said, you can have half of it. Meet in. And the half of it, it was an old movie studio. It's where the Oprah Winfrey Network used to be filmed. They actually came down from New York, and that's where they, they did it at. It was there. And it was a rundown place. But uh, we've worked for the last 60 days and got it ready. They had their Easter launch. But they went from what was packed into their home to a 26,000-square-foot warehouse. Now, what, what they have, and it's incredible the deal they've got and how God is blessed. And they're like, why was every other door closed? Whenever you hit closed doors, don't get mad at God. It's okay to wonder what he's doing. Don't worry. Worry is a sin. Wondering is okay. Just to wonder, okay, God, what are you doing? What's going on here? But I want you to know God is always going to be guiding your steps. You can trust him completely. You can be content and that he's a work in your life. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. If you want to come back and, yeah, I took too long. So uh, tell Maddie he needs to preach a short sermon to you and give you minutes back next week. I'll, I'll tell him what to do. But uh, I'm going to pray over you. And I don't know what you may be facing. I don't know what uh, may be going on in your life. I don't know if it's good days or bad days. I just want you to put it in the Lord's hands and say, I trust you with it. I don't need to know what's going on in your life. I know God. He is the Alpha, the Omega. He's in the middle. He won't move. He's the rock you can stand on. I can say that looking backwards. It hasn't all been good days, but he's always been good. Father, I ask that you would bless your church family, the Park City church family. Lord, I pray for Pastor Matt. Bless him today. Give him health and strength and that he can be back here in uh, his church with the family they loves. Lord, would you bless just bless each one. Lord, you know them by name. I was meeting some today and I was hearing names that I've heard Matt call out. I've heard him talk about and, and he's here. So Lord, would you just bless because you know everything about them. You know what's going on in the past. You know their future. So Lord, I just ask that you would go for them, bless them, would you help them to remain faithful? I don't know what challenges they may face, but I know that you are faithful. Lord, sink that deep in their hearts. Lord, I ask that you bless them to stand alongside one another. Whenever one part of the body may be hurting or struggling, may they stand together 
and be there in prayer and, and strengthening and whatever they can do for one another. Lord, I thank you. I just ask that you would go before this church and greatly bless it for the impact it's going to have, not only just around Oakland Park, and yes, I know they're involved in schools here, Tomahawk, but Lord, what they're going to have all around the city because they're going out right now back to their homes, back to their jobs, and they're going to pastor the people they come in contact with Monday through Saturday. So Lord, just bless each one of them. Bless the witness, the story that you're writing in their lives and through their lives. I ask all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.